2: Good evening. I'm William Hosea. Welcome to Bring It On, a multiple award-winning show celebrating over 13 years as Indiana's only weekly community radio show committed to exploring the people, issues,
0: and events impacting African-Americans. And good evening. I'm Clarence Boone, And in today's broadcast, you'll also hear about the upcoming fundraiser for the Monroe County Black Caucus and our perspective on what's relevant in the African-American world of news, all in the next hour here. I'll bring it on.
2: But first, Juneteenth is an annual holiday that celebrates the enforcement of the Emancipation Proclamation in Texas on June nineteenth, eighteen sixty-five. Juneteenth became an official Texas state holiday in nineteen seventy-nine. Juneteenth is short for June nineteenth. Of course, everybody knew that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> not,
0: not to insult anybody's intellect, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, one thing we didn't add is that there were some. Uh, parts of the country that were unaware of the the Emancipation Proclamation until a year later. Um, And so it takes on double relevance uh, uh, June 19th. But today it is also observed primarily in local celebrations. (coughs) Traditions include public readings of the Emancipation Proclamation, singing traditional songs such as Swing Low, Sweet Chariot, and Lift Every Voice and Sing and reading of works by noted African-American writers such as Ralph Ellison and Maya Angelou. Celebrations may include rodeos, street fairs, cookouts, family reunions, park parties, historical reenactments, or Miss Juneteenth contests. So to
2: talk about all of this, and I'm gonna have to read off her list of accomplishments here, we have invited historian, researcher, actress, playwright, CEO, bank president, (laughs) And former Miss Juneteenth. (laughs) And Bring It On contributor Liz Mitchell to join us to shed more light on Juneteenth and other community-based projects that she is involved with. Uh, The busiest woman in Bloomington, Indiana. Liz, welcome to Bring It On.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much. It's great to be here as usual.
0: We should have added... um, uh, Space Shuttle Pilot. That plus uh, refurbisher, um, a renovator and uh, she's been known to put on some gloves and and, and uh, restore old churches well so help sweep the floor if nothing else <laughs> uh and, and she's a good good supervisor so, yeah. so we're going to hear a little bit more about that <laughs> as we get into our conversation so much to talk to as always with you and then uh, we didn't add this in there but maybe a little teaser about some of the upcoming uh, dark past bright future segments you have in store for us well, yeah. and No, uh,
1: we got a full show
0: uh, and That's a good. very fascinating topic uh, that you've been researching down in Florida.
1: Okay, let's start off with Juneteenth. Juneteenth. Okay. Right. us Liz Mitchell. Okay, to my knowledge, there's about 44 or 45 states that have made it a holiday. Okay. And uh, you're right about it took a while for the word to get out that everybody, the, the slaves were free. Some of the slave owners, the rich guys, they packed up and left and moved south to get away from the war, they didn't want their kids going to war, and they certainly weren't going to give up their, quote, property. So by Texas being kind of out of the way geographically and not really involved with the war, per se, like it was in the other southern states, uh, the, Texas went to, from very little slavery to almost overnight slaves pouring in because people with means were able to travel down there, buy property and reestablish themselves and so um, it did take a while there were a lot of things that kind of interrupted the word getting there and the main thing is they had to wait until the troops Mm -hmm. uh, arrived there Uh, Galveston, they call it the Isle of Galveston was the last place June 19th 1865. I think it was General Gordon, believe that was his name, mm-hmm. that made the announcement to all of them that they were, that were free. Granger. Now, I want you to think about this. If you're so many generations of a slave, and you, that's all you know, and let's say you're 55, mm-hmm. 60 years old, mm-hmm. what are you going to do? Mm-hmm. That's all of you know, your mama, your grandparents, and on all the way back. So can you understand some people didn't want to leave? Right. And a lot did leave. Um, it is It would be frightening. You're leaving the known from the unknown. Uh, there was a line and, uh, oh, uh, Alex Haley thing. Or well, One of the women said, well, we're, we're eating now. now. We're going to starve. So you had that kind of thing. But you most certainly had a lot of people that did leave. They were escaping uh, the word. Kind of filtered down, and some slaves start running off, uh, but quite a few just didn't know what to do, where to turn, and and uh, it had to have been a, a frightening thing, as well as making you feel good that you're free.
2: Yeah, I think uh, that general's name was Granger.
1: Granger, went, okay. And yeah, I thought Gordon that okay. went down to Texas, but, mm-hmm.
2: and it was actually eighteen months from the time that the president signed. Uh, the, I believe that was an executive order. Mm -hmm. Uh, 18 months until the word filtered down to uh, Texas and so you know in reading on uh, reading a little bit about this there were a few reasons why it took so long all of them I can't believe like one of them was saying a messenger was murdered on his way to Texas with the news of freedom and that uh, slaveholders deliberately withheld that information to maintain the labor force. And then another one was federal troops actually waited for slave owners to reap the benefits of one more harvest before they would allow uh, all of those surprised. you can believe. Oh
1: yeah. Oh, for sure. Oh, oh for sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I would. And then what an, a, a genius document that was because who was supposed to have been free those states. W- that, which document? Uh, the Emancipation. Okay. The, it was the states of, uh, that were going to succeed from the Union
0: mm-hmm.
1: that he really didn't have control over. But there were plenty of slaves that he could have freed. So, you know, I've had people ask me the question Did what did that document really mean? Well, eventually it meant we were all free, that our people were free. But it took a while. Everything is so slow, painstakingly slow.
0: You know, something, uh, William, when you said that a document was signed by the president, I I had to just shake my head. And, you know, the current debate over the fact that the president can just sign a decree today and stop some uh, horrific activity on the border between Uh America and Mexico, that the president can pick up the phone and by decree. so anyway, I mean, that, of course, well, he, is, he can tweet and stop that. He could. Too. Yeah, that's right. He could tweet <laughs> Which is and, like, yeah. uh, and, and bring a halt to that. Yeah. Um, so and so as you describe, uh, Liz, and, and very vividly that prior to the emancipation, well, during the war, you say wealthy slave owners further north didn't want to subject their sons uh, to the war or have their for themselves. For themselves mm-hmm. and definitely want to maintain their Oh their, they wanted uh, to their keep chattel. their property, yeah. So they they moved further south. So this influx in the Texas so Texas should I assume that Texas did not have slavery for a very long time. Oh they had slavery. Prior to all this. Oh yeah, they had oh, okay. slavery,
1: but they didn't have the large numbers. Large numbers. Until okay. they started running from the okay. war and not wanting to lose their property.
0: Uh, and I'm totally amazed that uh, some of the things that have spun off from Juneteenth, um, there's a tradition of having uh, strawberry Kool-Aid, is it? Or cherry Kool-Aid or something to drink, or uh, ways that people celebrate Juneteenth and what it means. And And um, I remember Bloomington had Juneteenth gatherings um, mm-hmm. that were sponsored by different area, different agencies in the city. Some by IU and then some um, by private individuals getting together. And um, what are your thoughts on the significance of Juneteenth? Should this be a pause for all of African Americans and No, in we don't States? have time
1: to pause. Okay. No, history repeats itself. Uh, humans have a tendency to keep making the same mistakes over and over in one form or another not that we go back to that mm-hmm. but we don't want it going back to anything mm-hmm. and of course moving forward we don't want anything to take its place mm-hmm. because what normally happens is th- there's a way to figure out how to do things it. Mm-hmm. yeah and so we, we just don't want that to happen but uh, in lieu of, of uh, Juneteenth this is this could be considered a Juneteenth celebration. On Saturday, June 23rd, we're having Mama Minnie's Jute Joint, and this is the third annual Jute Joint. This is the raised funds for resilience. Resilience Productions is Gladys Devane, Dr. Gladys Devane, Miss Danielle Bruce, and myself, and we are producing plays pertaining to the African-American culture and experience. Two years ago, we produced a play for the State Bicentennial. This year in October, October 12th, 13th, and 14th, on stage at the Unitarian Church, 2120 North Fee Lane, we are presenting a play called Stories of Monroe, and this is for Monroe County's Bicentennial. And not to give too much away, we're going to start off with the Underground Railroad through here and work our way up through the 60s, telling stories, the successes of African-Americans here. Uh, We're going to talk about the slave catchers. Uh, We're going to we're going to talk about the Underground Railroad and those people black. And white, who participated in the Underground Railroad, we're going to talk about the turbulent '60s, both at on campus and in the city of Bloomington. Um, we're in the the plays written, but we're rewriting, thinking about stage presentation. So it's in a changing process now. We're really excited about what we're going to present to the public on stage. So if you want to help out of Resilient Stories of Monroe, and a celebration of soul food and soul music and soul fun for the whole family, come out Saturday, June 23rd at Don Owens FOP Lodge, 2450 North Curry Pike.
2: Now, I I know you said you don't want to give too much away, but you kind of threw a little teaser out there about the Indiana uh, Underground Railroad connection. So can can you tease us just a little bit more with maybe a little trivia that that we don't know already?
1: I'll tell you, most people know about the Ferris, the Curries and the Smiths. True. And the, the Covenators Church and all of that.
2: Uh, enlighten those of us who don't.
1: Okay. Uh, Covenators left North Carolina, came here, resettled. They didn't like the way... Uh, slavery They didn't like all of that, so that church and a lot of its members moved out this way. A bunch of them sub- settled here in, in Monroe County. And um, one man, uh, Robert Anderson, uh, his descendant is Jared Jeffries, he came and was a caretaker of... Uh, the Covenere Cemetery and his house, which is just north and adjacent to that cemetery, uh, the family descendants still live in that house. Mm. So we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that. What people don't talk about is the slave catchers that made a lot of money here in Bloomington. So we're going—I'm not going to tell you their names. You got to come see the play. So you will learn who they are. You will hear individual stories of slaves who were caught by them and what happened and you will hear where they lived in Bloomington. So we have all of that, and that's in the play. So that's another big teaser for you.
2: You know, one thing uh, <clears throat> about all of your productions, or most of them I would say, is that they always have that personal angle to it, where you tell uh, the life story or, or the family's uh, history and story about it. it kind of draws you in, makes it that much more interesting.
1: So that's what we're trying to do uh, again this time with that.
0: So this is um, uh, sort of a uh, evolving perspective of resilience. Resilience started for those that may be new to the community that are tuning in that have never heard of resilience. Where did it all start? Whose brainchild was that?
1: It, I would say, was the brainchild of Dr. Gladys Devane. Uh, She and I have been friends for years, and she loved to hear facts and stories that I would pick up on my travels because when I travel, I specifically find out about the African American history of wherever I am. It's, you have to hunt for it. You can't just go pick up a pamphlet in most places. And so I go asked, uh, what do black people do here? Wherever I go. And so, and I was telling her about some of the things I discovered and I keep a log of everything, keep it all written down. And I just have a, a huge box full of stuff. And so she's an actress, and everybody knows Dr. Glass-DeVane, at least I hope so. And then she likes to write. And she said, let's put our talents together for the state of Indiana's bicentennial, because I have a feeling that African Americans are going to be left out of the story. And that's where it all began, just a conversation like that. And so she's retired, I'm retired, and I thought that wasn't on my radar, but okay, I'll try it. And we started off, I said, you write the first scene, and I'll write the first scene, and we'll see if we mesh. We met two weeks later. We had virtually written the same thing, Mm -hmm. how it was going to start. So that let me know, okay, We can do this.
2: So you said you were worried or concerned about the African-American story being omitted from the bicentennial. So once you uh, coordinated the Resilience Project, did you find that it was, it had been left out?
1: For the most part, what we did hadn't been done by anybody. And what I'm most proud of is that the community of Bloomington um, helped sponsor it, pay for it, Mm -hmm. uh, were actors, actresses in it. It was definitely a community-based effort because we uh, turned in a a grant application for the state bicentennial grant, and we went up to hear the reviews, and our application got rave reviews, I mean, from everybody, high scores, and that's about all we got so high scores and rave reviews wasn't going to pay and for no it. money. So we came back and said, I, we don't think we can do it. And they go, oh, yes, you can do it. And so Bloomington made that happen. Everybody pitched in. And then when we had auditions, uh, we couldn't fit everybody in. So we had, you know, older men and women, black, white men and women, kids. And it. so it was everybody's involvement. And that... Uh, that was just great. That was just awesome. You couldn't ask f- for it to come together better than it did.
0: What's your goal as far as financially uh, raising money this coming Saturday? How much do you want to walk away with? What would make you satisfied that we're on the right
1: track? And If we made a couple of thousand with this, that would be great, but okay. whatever we make, we're, we're happy with it and we feel blessed. More than anything, uh, the feeling of like a family reunion, the community coming together. We dance, we, we try to come have someone think of all the, the old dances and who knows how to do what. Um, the food is good. I'll tell you this, we've got Dr. Gino Devane frying fish Saturday, it don't okay. get any better than that. Right. And um, we we're just really excited about having the community come together and then, of course, to see the plate. But whatever we get is fine with us. It's just everybody getting together, having fun.
0: You know, you speak about old dances. I know William could do the uh, popcorn and the robot and, and the uh, whatever, the jet clamp it. So.
1: Yeah, last year we couldn't figure out how to do the pony. The pony. Yeah. So, William, think about that, and well, William, you need to show us. William, go back to your repertoire. <laughs> So we do have a lot of other things with, coming with up. With my bad leg. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: I want to move on to okay. uh, one of the descriptors we used. And uh, we don't take this lightly because you truly are a an historian. And uh, many people don't know that you have one of the most extensive Jim Crow selections or collections, rather. And not only the city, but probably this part of Southern Indiana. Um, and you've traveled many places to mm-hmm. sort of compile all this. Tell us a little bit about what you've recently acquired. or
1: Nothing, because it's all gone underground. I don't know if you remember, was it last year at the fairgrounds in Indianapolis? There was a gentleman selling Jim Crow. Uh-huh. And a, a lady came through with her son and was just irate that someone would sell that. And before it was even harder, it was becoming more difficult to find yeah. Uh, and I like authentic pieces. I don't right, right. want reproductions. Right. And so I haven't been able to find anything that's not a, re- a reproduction, and I don't want that.
2: Right, because I- anybody can reproduce at right. any time. Yeah,
1: and they're getting real good at it, like yeah. burying it in manure to age it and, and do stuff like that. So I haven't made any purchases in a while. Okay.
0: Um, and... Along with that, there is a museum that we've talked about. I think you did go up.
1: I had to go because you was too slow.
0: I was, I was too slow.
1: Yeah, I had to go without no, you. I, I got I, my you traveling partner. Throw under the
0: bus on your old show. Yeah, but listen, I mean, oh wait a minute.
1: I got to meet Mr. Leon Taylor. I stopped and met right. him That's on right. the way,
0: and and he is, uh, he awesome. is a treasure, an Indiana treasure. And
1: I call him once every two months just to see how he's doing. And then we went right on up to the the <laughs> museum, and it's awesome that
0: wasn't saginaw michigan uh, was it? that was uh no one of the campuses up there but uh you met the curator and yep. uh, we we of course interviewed him on bringing on we have to get that uh we have to get that uh that airing out yeah. and play it but uh and again mr leon taylor in his own right um yeah, he's probably a hundred and or going on 103
1: this he's year? He's going on 103.
0: 103 this year. And oh. he's
1: the baby boy of Carrie Parker. Who was. And for those of you who don't know who Carrie Parker is, she's the first African-American female to attend IU. She didn't graduate, but she was the first to attend. And it's her baby boy, and he's going to be 103.
0: And wow. up to about two years ago, he was an avid bowler. He still is. Still is. All good. And yeah, he's he, gone
1: back. He had a stroke right. last year. So he just recently returned to bowling. I had to make an appointment with him when he was 100 because he's busy. Oh, yeah. He's in a bowling league.
0: And there are these little old ladies that pick him up and take him to the bowling uh, league. And (laughs) he's been winning tournaments. um, And he had an entourage from Japan that came out and interviewed him to find out what is your secret to longevity and all that good stuff. Well, well, Liz, I mean, historian, you truly are, and um, you are a contributor to bring it on. Uh, she is the producer of Dark Past, Bright Future, which uh, we will be hearing uh, some segments from Dark Past, Bright Future coming up shortly, and she tells us that she's working on one that is going to, as she says, blow our minds. There's, can you give us just a teaser? On, on what will hear? You
1: wanting teasers tonight?
0: Yes, ma'am. You know, it, it's like you know, it, it's it's going to be the main course is going to be spread when when we air that. But we just want to smell and get a whiff of the of the seasoning and all that you're bringing into it.
1: I heard about a plantation in Jacksonville, Florida. Mm-hmm. So in April, I thought it's time to go. Drove down there to see it, and the owner of this uh, plantation during slavery days had a different idea of slavery, and it was not mainstream. He thought that it was best to treat your slaves with respect and not work them from you can see to you can't see. Right. And so he had the task system. You were assigned a task. Each slave had a task to complete. When you did that task, it was up to you, long as it got done that day. And then if you went ahead and got your task done, the rest of the day was yours. Um, he married a young girl from Africa. She was about 14, I think, when, when they got married. He had children by her. He made her um, the head of everything while he was alive she managed uh, she was like the overseer and then laws came into play that said you got to have a white overseer but she oversaw everything and it prospered Hmm. he saw how now this was in florida under the spanish rule Mm -hmm. when he saw how things were getting ready to happen he tried to Uh, He got into politics to try to change things Across Florida to his way of thinking Uh, But then he saw the the handwriting on the wall That U.S. was going to get Florida So he took his family to Cuba He dies in Cuba You'll have to hear the story What happens after that
0: He brings up to the brink Teaser Yeah. Yeah, that's what we asked for
1: can we quickly talk about the West, West Baden Church? Yeah, absolutely absolutely. I, okay. about that. I have been helping fundraise for the West Baden yeah. Church It's called First Baptist Colored Church of West Baden, Indiana And that's because it was built during uh, segregation and, and was finished, the building was complete in 1909 Some people want to change the name, but we cannot It's history, Indiana landmarks we got to keep things according to what they say so it's First Baptist Colored Church That's the way it was and So there we have it uh, The restoration is about 85% done great, We great. are in dire need of more funds To finish it out mm-hmm. We had hoped to, to have it completed by June We didn't make it uh, But we're so close to it It's just beautiful A lot of people want to see this church So since we're in dire need July 14th and 15th, we're going to have a sneak preview fundraiser where you can walk inside the church because we didn't want anybody in. You can come in and see what we've done. Any donation. I'm just going to stand there with a bucket. You just throw whatever it is you your heart tells you and go in and see the church. And then when you go go in the front door, go out the back door and have some punch and a cookie. Uh, Janice Jaffrey and Curtis Jackson, they have volunteered to perform at the Unitarian Church on July 13th as a fundraiser for the church. This is the first time we're fundraising in Monroe County because all of our fundraising has been done in Orange County. Right. Of course, that's where the church is. Right. So this is the first time that we're actually fundraising in with an event here in Monroe County. And that'll be July 13th at 7 o'clock. Is that a Friday? That's a Friday. And uh, that address is 2120 North Feed Lane. The tickets uh, are $20 for 16 and up for adults, $10 for children age 15 and under. And you can contact the Unitarian Church for tickets and also Second Baptist Church for tickets.
2: Let me get in one last question. You said people wanted to change the name of the church.
1: They just wanted us to drop the word colored. Okay. Yeah, let me clarify that. Yeah. And we have to abide by Indiana landmarks. They come in and check. Uh, we had to put the wood back. It's yellow poplar. Uh, someone came through and said, I've got some yellow poplar. You want it? We have been embraced warmly by the people in the community. Uh, they can't wait to see that church done, and they have supported us, you know, from day one.
0: Descendants. Of I have of found members. some. You found some. Yes. Excellent. That actually attended, or their family members attended.
1: Their ancestors. Ancestors. Who attendance. are now deceased. Uh, I found the um, one of the deacons mm-hmm. and the piano player were married, mm-hmm. and I found their grandchildren.
0: Okay. And the church last held service, what? In the 80s by a white congregation. 1980. About
1: 1987 by a white congregation.
0: Have you found any of their former members?
1: Uh, Some of them, I met a couple that when we first got down there, met a couple that uh, was the pastor in the 80s, and he and his wife were married in the church. Okay. There's a lot of history there. And so uh, when you come in, we're going to have myself and two other people talk about the history of the community and uh, as well as the history of the church. It kind of goes hand in hand. So just come down and see the church. You'll be surprised at what it looks like now.
0: Well, you you just touched on the history of the community, and and that's something I I know we are just about out of time. Mm -hmm. Uh, Say one minute or, or a little bit over, what was the history in that part of the state um, for a black family to live there, for a black family to relo- relocate there? How did that happen?
1: Back in those early days ahead, they left the farms for good jobs at that time. So they were waiters, bellhops, maids for the hotels there. Uh, it was a thriving community, a large community, and of course, segregated So they had the Babylon, where you can go for entertainment. There were several churches there. Um, AME Church, which has uh, been destroyed. The Babylon's gone. There were several hotels, because during its heyday, West Baden, French Lick, it was it. You know, it predated Las Vegas. So Mm -hmm. when the trains are running through America, who's who went to French Lick and West Baden?
0: Like people like Al
1: Capone and John Dellinger. Joe Lewis. Joe Lewis. Stayed at the Wadi Hotel. Yeah, so he couldn't, he could play golf on the golf course, but he couldn't stay in the hotel. So he had to stay at the Wadi Hotel. But the who's who, when the train came in, if you're ever there, there's a building that looks like a Coca Cola building. Mm -hmm. As you come into West Baden, you look to the right. Our church is to the left. But if you look at the to the right in front of the West Baden Hotel, behind that Coca-Cola looking like building, which I think they did produce Coca-Cola, the Wadi Hotel sat there. So the train would come in, let their colored passengers off first, then it would go down and let the white passengers off at the arch, and there would be horses and wagons and buggies to take them up to the grand entrance of the West Baden Hotel.
0: So whoever attends is in for a treat. And again, the date for that fundraiser?
1: For uh, for the hotel, for, for, the the, hotel. For, for the church. For the church. Yeah, the concert is July 13th okay. at the Unitarian Church here in Bloomington at 2120 North Fee Lane. You can get tickets at the Unitarian Church or Second Baptist <coughs> Church. Okay. The next two days, Saturday and Sunday from noon to 4 in West Baden to see the church that we're restoring. For donations, whatever your heart tells you, you can go through and see the church.
0: And this uh, weekend? This,
1: this weekend, time. Saturday, June 23rd, is Mama Minnie's Jute Joint. Soul food, soul music, and soul fun. We're going to have a dunk tank. The chief uh, fire chief is going to be in the dunk tank. Pastor Bruce Rose will be in the dunk tank. Don't, don't about point you? to me. I can't swim. Okay. <laughs> uh, that event is $15 per person. Twenty dollars, $25 per couple at the Don Owens FOP Lodge 2450 North Curry Pike. That starts at 5 o'clock and is over at 8. We'll have big signs up there on North Curry Pike so you can see it. Yeah. Nothing else, come out and dance.
0: And we'll let that be the last
2: word. Okay. Our special thanks to Liz Mitchell, historian, researcher, playwright, and bring it on contributor. Uh, for joining us to shed more light on Juneteenth and other community-based projects that she is involved with. And I'll, I'll name a couple of them, the West Baden uh, Church Restoration Project, the Resilience Play Project. And, and did I miss anything?
1: Reverend Marvin Chandler documentary. Okay. And the documentary on the, the African-Americans in West Baden, Indiana, and, of course, the church.
0: The
2: busiest Woman in
0: Bloomington. That's right. And we almost forgot uh, she's a marketeer as well. Uh, Bring It On has an open submission policy. So if you have an idea for this program, let's hear it. Send an email to our volunteer staff. The address is bring it on at WFHB.org. We want to make sure we share everything and anything affecting the African-American community with our listening audience in Bloomington and beyond. The email address, once again, is bring it on at WFHB.org. Drums, please. (laughs)
3: Adjust the bass and let the alpine blast Pop in my CD and let me run a rhyme And put your car on cruise and lay back Cause it's summertime girls are dressing less and checking out the fellas to tell them who's best riding around in your jeep or your benzos or in your nissan sitting on lorenzo's back in philly we be out in the park a place called the plateau is where everybody go guys out hunting and girls doing likewise honking at the honey in front of you with the light eyes she turn around to see what you beeping at it's like the summer's a natural aphrodisiac and with a and pad i compose this rhyme to hip you and to get you equipped for the summertime
2: Our continuing salute to summer, you just heard Summertime, performed by DJ Jazzy Jeff and the
0: Fresh Prince. To keep up with local news and to find out what's happening behind the scenes at WFHB, you're invited to like the WFHB Facebook page. Go to Facebook.com and search for WFHB. Or you can always visit the WFHB News website at WFHB.org news. Bring It On is Indiana's
2: only public affairs program dedicated to the African-American community. Here on WFHB 91.3 FM and live on the web at WFHB.org.
0: For Bring It On, I'm William Hosea. And I'm Clarence Boone. It's now time to give you the latest perspective on the people, news, and issues affecting the black community. And we'll start off this evening with Dr. Ben Carson. Uh, (laughs) You'll get a kick out of what he's done now. Dr. Ben Carson says the homeless have to suffer because the government can't afford to do anything. I should just stop right there. Parker Riley of News One reports that Ben Carson is currently touring the country for Healthy Homes Month. Last week he was in Stamford, Connecticut and Greensboro, North Carolina. This week he, he was in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And while his speeches are always terrifying, considering how he shows every sign that he wants to dismantle social services, His latest speech was soulless and uh, anti-Constitution. Carson visited the Guest House, a homeless shelter in downtown Milwaukee, and instead of focusing on the homeless crisis, Carson ranted about how people are trying to divide the country. And according to Fox 6 Now, he complained, I'm talking about the people who are always trying to create friction. The level of vitriol has just reached a point where I don't think any reasonable person thinks that should be going on. Is he aware of uh, who he works for right now? A man who attacks Senator John McCain, a military vet who is battling cancer? A man who is attempting to take away the First Amendment rights of NFL players? A man who paid off an adult film star? What Kool-Aid is Carson drinking? May we also add a man who is uh, tearing apart families down on the southern border? Carson's foolishness didn't stop there. He said there is nothing he can do about homelessness because the government can't afford it. And Carson said the government could not tackle the issue of homelessness alone because the federal government is more than $20 $20 trillion in debt. He said the opioid crisis plaguing Wisconsin and the country has added to the homelessness problem. Uh, The opioid addiction is a severe problem. As you may recall, a few months ago, the president declared it to be a national health emergency. He said, we're being bombarded. Bombarded? This isn't the lunch shift at McDonald's. It is the job of of him as advocate for fair housing. There is no such thing as being bombarded. It's called doing your job. Ben Carson has been drinking the water
2: that I'm about to talk about now. All right. Flint can't see relief as Michigan's new lead attack plan falls short. The state has adopted the strictest rules for the allowable amount of lead and water in the US. Michigan's Department of Environmental Quality announced new lead water rules Thursday that will have long-term effects on Flint, but don't allow for much short-term relief to its residents, still battling an ongoing crisis. The state has adopted the strictest rules on the amount of lead allowable in water in the US with the maximum amount dropping below the federal level from 15 parts to 12 parts per billion in 2025. The rules are part of a big plan to replace 500,000 lead service pipes statewide in the aftermath of contamination that led to at least a dozen deaths in the predominantly black city of Flint. Each community water system in the state is required to replace an average 5% of its lead service pipes per year over a 20 year period starting no later than 2021. The plan, also prohibiting the partial replacement of pipes that can spike lead levels as well as allowing for more inventories of water supply lines, better lead testing methods, and public education, will cost $2.5 billion over decades. Don't know how many decades. The bill will be shouldered largely by water customers, EAP reported. It is... Flint's residents who are in need of clean water now and can't afford to pay for it. The city is still dealing with the devastating effects of that decision to switch the water supply from Lake Huron to the Flint River in 2014. City officials declared a public health emergency with lead from aging pipes leaching into the water supply that was untreated for corrosion. Officials were were faced criminal charges for their misconduct and gross negligence putting thousands of lives at risk.
0: You know, it, it, that's, that's not only criminal, it should be the nation's number one priority uh, to get in there and clean up the drinking water of a whole community.
2: And, and notice how the article said the cost is gonna be paid by the residents.
0: Well, just perspective, it, it's priorities, where, where the priorities uh, lay. Yeah. Um, Laura Bush, is a former First Lady of the United States in the following excerpts from a letter she penned to the Washington Post read as following. On Sunday, a day we as a nation set aside to honor fathers and the bonds of family, I was among the millions of Americans who watched images of children who have been torn from their parents. In the six weeks between April 19th and May 31st, the Department of Homeland Security has sent nearly 2,000 children to mass detention centers or foster care. More than 100 of these children are younger than four years old. The reason for these separations is a zero-tolerance policy for their parents who are accused of illegally crossing our borders. I live in a border state. I appreciate the need to enforce and protect our international boundaries, but this zero-tolerance policy is cruel. It is immoral, and it breaks my heart. Our government should not be in the business of warehousing children in converted box stores or making plans to place them in tent cities in the desert outside of El Paso. These images are eerily reminiscent of the Japanese-American internment camps of World War II, now considered to have been one of the most shameful episodes in U.S. history. We also know that this treatment inflicts trauma. Inter-Japanese have been two times as likely to suffer cardiovascular disease or die prematurely than those who are not interred. Americans pride, it, Americans pride ourselves on being a moral nation, on being the nation that sends humanitarian relief to places devastated by natural disasters or famine or war. We pride ourselves in believing that people should be seen for the content of their character, not the color of their skin. We pride ourselves on acceptance. If we are truly that country, then it is our obligation to reunite these detained children with their parents and to stop separating parents and children in the first place. In 2018, we can In 2018, can we not as a nation find a kinder, more compassionate and more moral answer to this current crisis? I for one, believe we can. And again, those words are penned by the former First Lady of the United States, Mrs. Laura Bush. I read an article
2: the other day on the Huffington Post that said America has always separated families consisting of people of color going back to slavery, of course, trail of tears, uh, Japanese internment, and now this. So when has America ever separated white families? That's
0: a good point. That's a
2: good point. Serena Williams' return to tennis sparks a debate about maternity leave. The Grio report that new mom, Serena Williams, recently won her first match following maternity leave at Indian Wells. But the truth is that even at her level, professional sports isn't a system designed for mothers. The former tennis world champion returned to the game as an unseated player. Williams, who has shattered records on the court for decades, was not opted into this year's tournaments as a top-ranked player because she took time away to start a family. Williams is a 23-time Grand Slam winner, being ranked as the 491st unseated, which is an automatic ad- advancement based on ranking. Let's be clear, this isn't a racist issue, this is a sexist issue. That, that's debatable. Williams and other mothers who have taken maternity leaves are forced to return to the sport at the very bottom. Miami Open Tournament director James Blake is speaking out and is ashamed of his favorite game's obliviousness to this major issue. For someone who goes on maternity break, they should be protected, said Blake to CNN. These kinds of things should not happen. She has won this title so many times that she needs protection. It's not as if she left because of injury and lost her passion for the game, Blake continued. She had a kid, which we should all be celebrating, so when she comes back, there should be a grace period where she can still be seated. He added, it's kind of a punishment, which is tough. Now that she's unseated, the 36-year-old Williams could face literally anyone on the court. Luckily, she ended up drawing Indian Wells champion Naomi Osaka. If Williams wins, she will battle fourth-seated Elena Fitzlina next who knocked Williams out of the Rio Olympics in 2016. Still, Blake says that Williams has not complained about being unseated and nearly 490 people wanting her coveted top spot. You know, when I first saw the title, I, I, I'm thinking, you know, this is, we got more important things to talk about. But as I read through it, uh,
0: yeah, he makes a really good point about women being treated unfairly in the game of tennis. And uh, Serena Williams, one of the uh uh, unique things you're going to see is you're going to see a woman with a purpose going through opponent after opponent to make a point. Yes, yeah, she's on a mission. That was a look at African American headline news from around the world for this week. Tune in again next week for the latest news on and for the African American community. We want to know what you think of current black issues. Send your comments to bring it on at Wfhp.org. For Bring It On, I'm Clarence Boone. I'm William Hosea, and you are listening to Bring It On, Indiana's
2: only public affairs program dedicated to the African-American community. Here on WFHB, 91.3 FM on your radio and live on the web at WFHB.org.
3: Light into sight, tight, camera zoom, on in your pendant doom. But then like boom, black suits fill the room up with the quickness, talk with the witnesses, hypnotizer, normalizer, vivid memories, turn to fantasies. Ain't no one my bees, can I what we say, that's the way we kick it. Yeah, you know I mean, a the noisy cricket get wicked on you. We're your first, last, and only line of defense against the worst scum of the universe. So don't fear us, cheer us. If you ever get near us, don't jeer us. We're fearless, and my bees freezing up all the black. What for? Men in black. Uh, and,
1: the Men in black.
2: Will Smith returns to perform the theme song to the 1997
0: summer blockbuster movie, Men in Black. And uh, we were just commenting Tommy Lee Jones and Will Smith, an imposing duo, wearing all black suits with that little device that made you forget things. Well, I wish I had. Anyway. Wish you had one of those. Uh, yeah, I'll yeah, just say, look yeah. here. Uh, it's now time to bring you some of M- info on a very special fundraiser aimed at supporting the Monroe County Black Caucus. And uh, here to talk about that is my co-anchor, William Jose and and for bringing on I'm Clarence Boone and of course this is WFHB. Yeah okay we (laughs) okay what's going on?
2: (laughs) Anyway uh, just for those who don't know about the Monroe Monroe County Black Democratic Caucus we kind of came together in 2016 and our purpose is to get more African Americans in this community involved in uh, local politics and try and uh, recruit uh, people from the community, from the black community to run for office. And, and we've had some limited uh, success in doing that. Uh, we, Jim Sims was our first endorsed candidate, and of course he won. And now we're also uh, having a young man run for the school board by the name of Byron Turner. And uh, we also have some of our local elected officials who are already in office. Nicole Brown, uh, uh, Nicole Bolden, and Judge Valerie Harden. And so we had our first fundraiser last year. Turned out to be somewhat of a success. And uh, we're gonna have another one Friday, June the 22nd, from 5 to 8 p.m. Location is at Griffin Realty, 735 South College Avenue. And we're going to have a live jazz fusion band, and these guys are bad, I'm telling you. I heard them play uh, a couple of times, and uh, I think if you come out and listen to them, you'll really enjoy it. We're going to have uh, some food, uh, some free food, but we're also going to uh, have some food trucks, uh, a few drinks. And then uh, there will probably be quite a bit of people from the community, You know, some of everybody, uh, working folks, uh, local politicians. Not that politicians don't work, but, you know. <laughs> so some, some local elected officials, and uh, also some of the candidates who are running for office. And also I want to throw in, we get very broad support mm-hmm. for the Black Democratic Caucus. You know, African-Americans are only 3.6% of the population here, but we get a really diverse uh, uh, bunch of support from the community here. And so uh, we just come on out and enjoy it. We will have a good time.
0: Now, uh, the actual act of fundraising, will it be a passing of the hat or a sell of tickets? Or how do you plan to raise some funds? If you want to just drop a few dollars in the
2: hat, that's fine. Uh, But you can also write a check. And we're trying to get something in place now where you can just swipe the card. But that remains to be seen. But we are working on it. All right. And the time, once again, on that? 5 to 8 p.m., 735
0: South College Avenue, right there at Griffin Realty. All right. So, are we? or Is this like early announcement for a few years from now that maybe we may see uh, William Jose's name up on a billboard? Uh, my name is already up on the billboard. <laughs> Which <one>? he's <laughs> got wanted right next to it. <laughs> all right. Well, it all starts from humble beginnings, <laughs> and uh, he has been active, and uh, he's been an advocate, um, and uh, he has been doing as much as possible to promote. They're uh, very positive in our community and uh, trying to, uh, um, you know, wake up the city of Bloomington to to do better in some areas. So we do appreciate that. Um, if you have an event, I'm sorry, I'm reading, I'm reading your line there. Oh, and uh, we do before we before we sign off, we'd be remiss if we did not mention one more time that this Saturday, June 23rd, from five to nine, Mama Minnie's Juke Joint, uh, fifteen dollars per person, twenty five dollars per couple at the Don Owens FOP Lodge, number 88, 2450 North Curry Pike. And all proceeds go to the Resilience uh, Stories of Monroe County coming October 11th through the 14th, 2018 at the Unitarian Universalist Church. For more info, contact Elizabeth Mitchell at emitch1441 at sbcglobal.net or follow us on Facebook at Resilience, R-E-S-I-L, i-e-n-c-e the play
2: and you can pay at the door so if you have an event or happening the african american community should know about please send that info directly to the bring it on staff or if you want additional information about a calendar item that you've heard tonight you can contact us at bring it on at wfhb.org our thanks
0: to liz mitchell historian researcher actress playwright renovator on and on and on and bringing on contributor most of all to join us for joining us to shed more light on Juneteenth and other community-based projects that she's involved with. And our show's producer
2: is sitting to my left, Mr. Clarence Boone, with help from WFHB News Department Director Wes Martin. Our board engineer is Chris Martin. Our original theme music was created by Jamil F M, with additional background tracks by David Baker. For WFHB,
0: I'm William Hosea. Just when we thought we uh, began the month of June, I'm Clarence Boone. And tune in next Monday, June 25th at 6 p.m. for another exciting edition of Bring It On right here on your community radio station, WFHB.
1: You've been listening to Bring It On,